Hey, it's Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster, bringing you another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Today, we are joined by Wendy Dio. Yes, that Wendy Dio. She joins us today to speak about Dio Dreamers Never Die. It's the documentary that was out in theaters in a limited run a couple years ago. It made its debut at South by Southwest Music Festival in Austin, Texas. And uh, it's now available on DVD and Blu-ray. The deluxe edition comes with a bunch of extras. She'll tell you all about it. It's a great documentary if you haven't seen it. And now you can actually own it and uh, and add it to your library. It's the kind of thing that, I mean, I saw it in theaters and I would go see it again. And it's the kind of thing I would probably watch over and over, you know, as the years go by. So oh, I'm, I'm planning on buying it. Yeah, definitely a great addition to your collection. She's also talking to us today about a four LP box set that is out. Um, it is a vinyl LP. It's also available on CD. It's the last four studio albums that Dio recorded uh, before he passed. And it also includes a seven inch vinyl of a track called Electra, which was intended to be um, a track off the second part of the Magica album that uh, obviously never, never came out. But uh Four LPs, uh, you get all the artwork, it's on colored vinyl, you get the Electra 7-inch thrown in there as well. So When you uh, asked her, like, uh, you know, hey, can you tell us what comes with the, with the DVD? And she went down a shopping list. She was like, okay, let's see. And like, <laughs> she kept saying, this was in it and that's in it. I'll make everybody watch our episode here, of course, to find out what it comes with. But it comes with, it's a kitchen sink like it yes. comes with everything. It comes with so much stuff. Um, made me think Gene was part of the mar marketing for that. You know. So. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a little bit of everything, and uh, and so is the LP box set. Uh, we talk a little bit about how you know Ronnie was a fan of the album artwork. As anyone listening and anyone that knows Dio. You can look at his album covers all the way back to Rainbow and the Black Sabbath stuff and the Dio. And uh, he always put a lot of thought into his album covers and the artwork. It was the kind of thing, like a lot of us of a certain age, we grew up, we were as drawn in by the album cover as we were by the music a lot of times. So a lot of attention to detail and those LPs uh, continue that legacy. They all have great artwork. So it's nice to see they're going to be available on vinyl. Yeah, that's, I think that, um, I mean, people are not going to let this legacy just blow away in the wind. No. Uh, music fans, especially uh, heavy metal music, the, the fans are, of, of this style are undying. Right, forever they, fans. Yeah, and it doesn't go away ever, and they're, their kids and their grandkids um, understand it and see the greatness of it. And uh, it's fan, e even though that this is uh, a celebration, if you will, of the last recordings of Ronnie James Dio, it's also more than that because it created um, uh, memories and music for fans of all of the other people Ronnie made music with. And mm. Wendy talks about that. And that, again, of course, is a shopping list. Just think about it for a second. Of all of the kick 
ass guitar players and bass players and drummers that Ronnie had in his band, not to mention the Black Sabbath guys. Yeah. But, but I mean, start, <laughs> start with that shit. Fuck, start with Rainbow. Just start with yeah. Rainbow and let it come all the way full circle to uh, a full gamut of, uh, of list of amazing songwriters and players that helped Ronnie create Dio songs. Yeah. And so, and I know that everyone out there uh, has a record collection, whether they only have, if, if you have one Dio record, the people that helped him make that record, the players, the producers, those are just offshoots of half of your other, the rest of your records in your fucking record collection. Yeah. I'm and serious. I'll, and, I'll, and I'll add that if you have one Dio record in your album collection, you need about 15 others. <laughs> Well, yeah, I didn't have to say. I wasn't trying to make people feel bad or anything. I'm just saying the influence is for it's an infinite. The yeah. influence is infinite. The people that he uh, handpicked, ra rather, it's a little bit hardcore of a way to describe it. But the people that were lucky enough—that's also yeah. kind of hardcore—to work with Ronnie, they are not just known as a one-trick pony as a one trick Dio, you know, they are somebody that comes from another, uh, Vivian Campbell. Right. Jimmy Bain. Right. Yeah, sure. You can start with Sabbath and, and rainbow and all that stuff. It's all offshoot. Remember our episode with the, the deep purple tree. Yeah. 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 Uh, -huh. that's what I'm talking about. Right. Right. It go, it's a, it's a, it's not a one, it's not a skinny, narrow alley. It is a cobweb freeway. It's busy. It's chaos. Yeah. And yeah. it's a beautiful thing. Well, uh, we're all familiar with the music of Ronnie James Dio, and uh, we're happy to have Wendy with us today to get us uh, a, an opportunity to kind of peek inside the man that was Ronnie James Dio. We get to know him a little bit uh, on a personal level, uh, thanks to her joining us today. So uh, Dreamers Never Die, 4LP box set, all things Dio here today on the Talk Louder podcast with Wendy Dio. <laughs> um, we wanted to discuss a couple of things, actually a lot of things, but uh, let's start off with uh, the Dreamers Never Die, uh, re-releasing it on DVD and Blu-ray. It is the yeah. uh, Ronnie James Dio documentary. I saw it in theaters when it when it came out in theaters. And um, so it made its debut right here in Austin at South by Southwest. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we, uh, we actually took it there to uh, get someone to pick it up uh, for uh, general release, uh, which they did. And um, it was uh, it was great. It was out in theaters. Um, all around the world, but only for a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, and then, it, obviously, in America, it was on Showtime, but the rest of the world has never got to see it at all, and that's, they were at one of those uh, shows in the cinema. So I'm very happy that it's a worldwide release now, so it'll be out on Universal's of Mercury. Yeah, and it's uh, it's being released as a uh, a deluxe edition, so it comes with a lot of extra goodies and merchandise. I know there's a poster. What are some of the mm -hmm. other things that are included in the deluxe edition? Uh, they've got uh, some. Uh, there's a wristband. There's a sticker. There's uh, uh, guitar picks. 
uh, the poster. Uh, there's a drink uh, poster. Uh, right. Your beer or your wine or your tea. Um, it's got some cards in there. Um, it's, uh, it's got a lot of stuff in there. It's wow. And tissues, of course, if you're going to cry. So. Yeah. Tissues. <laughs> tissues. Yes. Because you're going to cry. Those, I can say those, would, those would be for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't oh, know that you could put enough tissues in that box set to be yeah. quite honest. Cause, uh, I, I, like I said, I went and saw it in the theaters when it made that limited theater run. And I took my son who was, uh, he was probably 14 at the time that this was out in theaters. And he's very aware of who Ronnie James Dio is because he's my son. But um, when he went and saw it in the theater, I remember we were leaving and in the parking lot, he said, I always knew who he was, but he he didn't quite put it in these words. But the point he was trying to make was he never realized how big of an impact Ronnie had over so many decades of music, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I think my 14 year old son knows him from his Black Sabbath days and the Dio days, but wasn't as familiar with Rainbow and Elf. And going all the way back to his fifties. Exactly, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So it was a, you know, it was very, uh, it was very all inclusive, career spanning, very mm-hmm. well done. And I liked the fact, and I think the impression it made on my son was it, it humanized Ronnie. Yeah, that's what we wanted to do. We really wanted to, you know, many people have asked me to do a documentary on Ronnie for many years. Wasn't the right time, wasn't the right people. Um, and BMG approached me and they financed it. And I interviewed a bunch of people. And then when I met Don and Demian, they were fans. They were huge fans. They'd already done like Imagine Dragon and an Alec Baldwin film and things. But, but they were Dio fans and they knew a lot about Ronnie. And, you know, I'm very, um, very protective of Ronnie's stuff. So in the beginning, I gave him a little bit a little bit more, and then the pandemic came and we were sort of stuck in the middle. It took three years to make because of the pandemic. But because of the pandemic, I got to know them really, really well. And then I just opened the vault and said, pick what you want, you know, because I really wow. trusted them. And I loved what they did with all the stuff that we gave them. They did an amazing job. And I wanted what they did was what I wanted. And what I wanted was to tell one his story, the good times, the bad times, the in-between times, and that how Ronnie really, who he really was. And also to pick some, pick some things out that maybe even the, the hardcore fan didn't know about Ronnie. Right. So so give us an example for those who haven't seen the film yet. Uh, give us an example of maybe something that's in the film that people might not know about Ronnie. Well, about the doo-wop days, for sure. They probably didn't know that about Ronnie. <laughs> um, <laughs> that he played trumpet from a young kid, you know. Um, wow. All the different things in the electric album, um, the making of the album cover of Holy Diver. We mm. that, how that went down was um, Gene Hunter was the uh, artist and Gene Kirkham was the photographer. But Ronnie and I knew what we wanted, but neither of us could even draw a stick in. So we had to try and portray in this person's brain what we wanted. And so he decided on his own to get a hold of Gene Curtin, and the two genes went down to re to make this um this uh, almost died with them making this um photo that they brought back to us and said, Is this what you wanted? And of course it was. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 
when you're putting something together, you were the executive producer on this film. Mm -hmm. And when mm -hmm. you are, when you're gathering all the bits and pieces and the memories that you want to include in something like this, uh, it's gotta be a very, uh, emotional experience. Yeah. So for you, yeah. from your perspective, what, what, what moments tugged at your heartstrings the most? And then what moments made you the most proud? I think that obviously the hospital scenes is very hard for me, very, very hard for me. Um, even though I wasn't there and didn't know Ronnie at the time, him retelling the accident was this terrible thing that happened to Ronnie and lots of best friends. That gave me goosebumps. Um, a lot of the things, the memories, silly memories of photos I'd see and I'd remember the time and that would make me cry. The highlights and the funny times, <laughs> Jack Black was just funny in it, was that scene that he's in. <laughs> Sebastian Bart made me laugh. He's such a crazy guy. <laughs> and that was really fun. So there's a lot of fun things in there, but those, those things come to mind to me to make me laugh and to make me cry. Yeah. And I think that sums up the documentary in a nutshell. It will make you laugh. It will make you cry. And along the way, it'll make you appreciate the massive catalog of great music and the influence mm -hmm. that Ronnie had on, on heavy music. Um, there's uh, apparently there's 20 minutes of deleted uh, scenes in the, in the, mm -hmm. in the deluxe mm -hmm. edition scenes that weren't seen in the theaters and on the, on the first run. Can you tell us a little bit about those 20 minutes? What might we see? Can you drop any hints about what? Yeah. Well, that, you know, it was, <clears throat> we had so much footage. We had to cut out so much stuff. And uh, on this, we wanted to put some bonus material in. So uh, we thought the things that were, what should have been in there, but didn't get to go in there, was uh, Sun and Light talking about Ronnie, Ronnie's drummer. Uh, there's one from Wynn Davis, his engineer, talking about running the studio. And then there's Jack Black, another Jack Black story that's kind of funny. So those are just different bonuses. There's so much. We could have put, we could have put another, I don't know, 100 minutes of, of stuff wow. in there that was cut out, unfortunately. But, um, you know, you can only do so long and you can get bored after a while anyway. So we had to make it concise and we had to make it the story that it was. And um, I think that, that Dem and, uh, John and Demi did such an amazing job as, as uh, because I'm really, really proud of them. I'm very proud of his product. I think Ronnie would be proud of it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, uh, how, you, you managed Ronnie as well as being married to him. And, and that, mm -hmm. that strikes mm -hmm. me as a very uh, uh, precarious position to be in. I, I would imagine yeah, yeah, there are yeah. times when you know, you're trying to be husband and wife, but you're also trying to be business partners. And there mm -hmm. might be times when those things don't exactly mix. <laughs> oh, many, many times, especially as Ronnie's a control person. He's a control freak. I'm a control freak. And the two of us would be butthead many times. <laughs> there are times when I would walk out and leave for a few weeks and come back and leave for a few weeks and come back. You know, um, it was very, very hard to be married to a musician and, and managing him. Although in the long run, Everything was for Ronnie's career, and that's what we cared about, and that's what we did. Even when the times when we were not even being husband and wife and leaving and coming back, that, you know, uh, I mean, we were always husband and wife, but when I went away, 
um, I still care about his neighbors and still continue with the business. Um, he never interfered with the business side, and I never interfered with the music. And I think that that's how we got on so well. You know, we were like, um, you know, we're just together. Yeah. Now, I, I've I've heard this before that as his manager, and this this probably shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone listening to this show or anyone that knows anything about the music business. But in order to succeed at the level that Ronnie had to succeed, you oftentimes have to sacrifice a lot. And there's there's plenty of times, I'm sure, when times get really, really scary financially as far as just oh, keeping yeah. a roof yeah. over your head and paying your bills. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us, like, at the when things got lean, can you tell me how scary it was at the scariest times? It was really scary when Ronnie left Rainbow because he had been given a big house to live in, a nice car and bills paid and everything. And then he didn't have anything. Really. He was given like $150 a week and that was it. And when we left, um, and then Ronnie's manager didn't manage him anymore, so we had no, he had no manager, he had no money. Uh, my grandmother passed away at the time, left me a little bit of money, so we bought a little space from my and we decided it was time to move back to California and get things happening, and so we did. And I think those times were always much, much closer because we were both for the same goal, and instead of, you know, uh, arguing about things, we were like, we've got to make this better, what are we going to do, what are we going to do? Put our heads together, we came back to California, we was working with three different bands, trying to get something happening. And we just happened to be in the rainbow one night with met Tony Ireland. And uh, that's what happened. And the other scary time was when Ronnie lost his record deal. That was very, very scary. In the 90s, when grunge came in, all the metal people were dropped from the labels. Um, the, you know, um, he was dropped from, from Van Halen was dropped. wasn't so bad financially. We weren't bad off financially, but emotionally he was torn up. He was just emotionally wrecked. Even though he picked himself up and went out and played clubs for like 80 people instead of 800,000 people, he did it. He did it for the fans, but it, it hurt. It hurt a lot. Mm. Yeah. We saw, we saw oh, that. Yeah. yeah. We saw that club tour. Uh, I am, I am friends with the Armored Saint camp and mm -hmm. they toured with Armored Saint and me and Dave were both there, and uh, it was. There's something very on on the on the trail of uh, you know on the subject of being. Even though it was a darker time for you guys, I was just talking to somebody the other day. What I mean, Motorhead was even in. We saw you know Motorhead mm -hmm. in the same clubs, and the same things mm -hmm. were happening mm -hmm. to everyone. Everyone was being affected by the same issues in the music business around that time. So when you when you kind of put that perspective on, and you got everyone's kind of hurting. But what what else are you gonna do? Um, yeah, yeah, right. What are you gonna do? Yeah. Right, you got to rock. You got to continue to rock. Mm -hmm, you have mm -hmm, to, yeah. you know, even if it's a loaf of bread and a can of beans, you still got to rock. <laughs> so, I I just think that it was a very interesting and really great time for the fans to be able to uh, be let in that close to someone yeah, yeah. that. I've heard that I, from many, many fans. Of course, yep. and and I I still kind of bleed that, and 
to be that close to Ronnie in a club that holds 500 people or so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. was... But he always gave his all. It didn't matter yes. if it was 80 people or 800,000. He would give his all. It, That's it right. didn't matter to him. He, yeah. You know, he loved his fans. They loved him back, and he knew that. And he wasn't going to give up for, for, because some of them needed some them. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's just it was just incredible to see you, and I'll I'll bleed this. One of the greatest front men, if not the greatest front man, in the history of rock music, to be that close to that, mm-hmm. uh, and if you're a performer, to just be like, I can't believe this is like just a few feet away from me. Anyway, I yeah. I digress. I wanted to. Just I remember say, one time he played a club where. The keyboard player had to play in the toilet because there wasn't enough room on the stage. <laughs> 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 I thought the keyboard player lost. We lost. It was so ridiculous. That shit is real, though, man. I mean, that's how it that is. That is rock and roll. I yeah. love that. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Well, Wendy, I wanted you to know, I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but my, my co-host here, Jason, is a professional vocalist. So when, when he says that Ronnie is one of the greatest singers uh, of, of the genre, uh, he certainly knows what he's talking about. He's, been, he's made records and toured and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I was they, mentioning <clears> on the same, uh, earlier on, they're great guys. Love those guys. Yes. They come all the time to our bowling and our... And uh, Ronnie and stuff, they're always there supporting. They're great guys. They're the best. They're beautiful people. You mentioned mentioned the later part of Ronnie's recording career and how the musical landscape changed, um, which kind of brings us to this 4LP box set that's also coming out. So Beautiful. I just saw it myself a couple of days ago. On BMG, it's absolutely beautiful. It's uh, the four last recordings that Ronnie did. And uh, it's Master of the Moon, Angry Machines, Killing the Dragon, and Magica. And what I like about it, as well as it being on vinyl, uh, in beautiful colored vinyl and some more artwork by Mark Sasso, um, Ronnie always hated it when the cassettes came out because he always said, Oh, I love the album because I like to buy a record because I like the cover as well as the music. And yeah. of course, it was all squashed down with cassettes and CDs. So mm-hmm. he would be really happy to see that vinyl's back and that this, this box set came out. What yes. I also like about it is you've got a variation of different players. You've got like, you've got um, Tracy G on Angry Machine, you've got Craig Goldie, you've got Doug Aldridge. As guitar players, you've got Vinny Apathy on drums on one. You've got Simon Wright on the others. Uh, Jeff Pilsen's on bass on some. Mm. Uh, and now, like, great friend uh, Jimmy Baines on it. You know, so yes. it's like a selection of players as well. And I, I think it's just an inter- very interesting collection. It's beautiful, beautifully done with this beautiful uh, 180-gram uh, colored vinyl. And I think BMG did a fabulous job on it. I'm really, really pleased with it. Yeah, and you mentioned Jimmy Bain. If you don't mind me taking a, a brief detour now, now Jimmy, of course, is no longer with us either. Uh, no. But Jimmy, Jimmy and Ronnie, they made some incredible music together. But yeah. but personality wise, they strike me as very different. Like Jimmy kind of had this oh, reputation oh, yeah. as a wild man, crazy <laughs> outlaw, and and Ronnie was, he was crazy alcohol, picking up chicks all the time. Yeah, he was. Uh, Ronnie always called him Jimmy Bob Bain, Jimmy Bob Bain. But Jimmy was always. No matter how much alcohol he consumed or whatever else he'd been doing, 
He never let Ronnie down on stage. He was always a great bass player, and he just did his job. And he was just a he was just a happy soul. He was always happy. Mm. Happy, happy, never in the bad mood. Always happy. Yeah. Wow. I always I always liked Jimmy Bain. I thought he was he sort of embodied the whole rock and roll spirit and uh yeah, God rest his soul. And, and he and Ronnie. he died doing what he loves, didn't That's did, fine. That's he, fine. Did he die on the Monsters of Rock too. cruise? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I love Jimmy's tone, his bass tone, his yeah, style. Exactly. It, it was yeah, completely yeah. different. When you heard it, you knew that it was him. And he was just like a little sexy boy on stage. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be happy to know that. Yes. Uh, so uh, going back to the box set now, it's four LPs, but there's also a seven inch of the... Yeah, the LP Elect- of Electra, which was um, the beginning of Ronnie, when he did Magic, he wanted to be a trilogy. And mm. he started writing the second part, which Electra was part of that. Um, unfortunately, never got to finish it. That that was what he was doing. Do you notice? Um, I mean, there's there's sort of been this resurgence in in vinyl number one. And as I mentioned earlier, my my son, who's now 15, has a has an amazing vast appreciation for bands like Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and and Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, things that were way mm-hmm. before his time. Yep. Do you see a younger generation appreciating the legacy of, of Dio? I do, I do, because you know what? Those were the innovators. You can only invent the wheel so many times. That's right. And those were innovators, <laughs> and I think people are going back, and I'm really glad to see young bands, tribute bands, there's so many Dio tribute bands and tribute bands for all the other bands, and, and that's great. It's that they're listening to the innovators' music, and that's great. I mean, you know, Motorhead and, and Rob Halford, these, these, all those people that they should listen to because they were innovators. They were something special. Yeah. I want to go back to the uh, to the documentary for a minute because there was a moment in there that I wanted to ask you about. There's a moment in the film when Ronnie confesses to absolutely hating the song Rainbow in the Dark. Like he wanted to destroy it in the studio. He wanted to take razor blades to the tape and absolutely destroy it. And, and, and the guys in the band, I guess, talked him out of it. Someone talked him out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know why he disliked that song so much? Yes. Because when he left rainbow, he left rainbow because they wanted him to become more commercial. And he felt that the cable partner was making it more commercial. And so therefore mm. he, didn't want to be commercial. There's another song he hated, which was Mystery, because he said that's way too commercial. Mm. Too poppy, don't like it. But that was the way Ronnie was, you know? He, he had a way of doing things his own way, but everybody, including him, was happy that they didn't destroy Rainbow in the Dark. It's one of my favorite songs. And I don't know if it was one of his or not, but I know he played it many, many times on stage. Yeah. Well, it did become one of his signature songs, that's for sure. You probably have to play I know it. That. People, people get mad if you don't play it. Yeah, no, I know that when they did uh, Holy Diver, uh, they, they spent most of the time uh, videoing uh, the Holy Diver track, and they had a bit left over. So they said to Ronnie, I'll go up on the roof and sing Rainbow in the Dark. And he went up there and he always said, I love that one. I look really tall. You know? And that's when Sebastian wanted those white boots. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> 
I remember when that video came out and I loved it because I thought Dio just I thought he just looked so menacing. You know, he had that black hair blowing across his face and the gauntlets on his arm and the way he just oh, I just thought he was, it just didn't get more metal than that. I loved it. I have the song is great. I think I was taken in like one or two takes, whereas Holy Diver was probably ten takes. So it was like, which is totally a throw-off thing, but it was it was great. It was really great, and I know he liked that. I have a bit of a guilty pleasure of a commentary I would like to talk to you about real quick, if you don't mind. Ronnie had these movements with his hands, not just this, but he had this right. And he had this, mm -hmm. and he had this. Mm -hmm. So I call this casting, and I call this conjuring. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, there's only one man I'm thinking about. <laughs> when, when I'm conjuring or casting or just even like singing into somebody's soul in the audience, mm -hmm. because you can tell mm -hmm. they're asking you to. That's right. I always think of Ronnie's uh sort of hand puppets if you will just to call them something funny yeah you know? he, he had a way of uh making everyone in the audience by those movements by that thing thinking that they were the only person that he was singing to but he was he was he absolutely was singing to every single person and he you know people would say oh he sang right to me right so yeah he probably did yeah you know he yeah. just he just loved his audience so much he enjoyed being on stage so much he, he loved that warmth that feeling of being one together with the band. You know, he could also speak. He was well-spoken. He was book-read. He was probably some, mm -hmm. there was some street smart going on too, I'm oh, sure, yeah, with, yeah. with the lyrics and everything. But mm -hmm. the point, the point is that I feel like his hands moving, he, I would have voted for president, Dio for president, <laughs> because he, he was, he was able to get you to pay attention with oh, what yeah. he's doing with Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Just as much as anything else he had going for him, mm -hmm. which was a lot. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, yeah but, I mean, kids um, would, uh, you know, a lot of times the kids would pull people's clothes or whatever. But they would just look at them and they wouldn't do it. They would want to touch him, but they wouldn't pull his clothes. They wouldn't try and take something. They, they just, because they just didn't. Right. <laughs> he probably gave me well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember your first date with Ronnie? Oh, yeah. It wasn't really a date, but um, I met him at the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Uh, Richard Blackmore was having a, a party there because they had just finished uh, recording Blackmore's Rainbow. They had not toured yet. And uh, they were having a party up in Hollywood Hills. And they invited me to go. And I went up there, and Ronnie was kind of following me around. And I said, too short for me, too short for me. And... <laughs> And then he wouldn't stop following me around. And so I ended up talking to him. We talked a long time, talking, talking. And then it was like about, I don't know, four or five o'clock in the morning and everybody's going down to Denny's. So we went to Denny's and had breakfast with everyone. And then he said, you want to go for a ride up to Malibu? I said, yeah. So we drove up to Malibu to see the sunset. And we just talked and talked and talked. And that was kind of the beginning of our relationship. And um, he was going on the road in a couple of weeks. So we saw each other for a couple of weeks and figured, that's the end of it, you know. He went on the road. I carried on. Uh, he About oh, two or three days later, when he was on the road, he called me and said, why don't you quit your job and come join me? And I said, well, I can't quit my job, but I'll come for a couple of weeks. 
And of course, I have one the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> well, bless you. I'm glad funny, that you made that decision. Spell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think what... I fell in love with his brain. He was so he was so well read and so interesting. You could talk about any subject you possibly think about. Wow. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he has such a good heart. Loves his animals. He did so many things for charities that nobody knows about. And, you know, he's just a good, loving human being. Yeah. I, I had the pleasure of interviewing him one time, and it was a phone interview. But then when he arrived in Texas, I went to the gig, and he invited me and my wife backstage. And I, I, I just couldn't believe how hospitable he was. We, he took us into a, a dressing area. And I had some vinyl records and he sat us down and he offered us beer and he sat there and it was like, we were the only two people in the world at that moment. Mm -hmm. And this went on. Yeah. Yeah, And it went on for 20, 25 minutes, just short of half an hour or something. And I I just couldn't believe that he was spending that much time with us and I'll never forget it. And, And when I saw the film and then when he passed and, and all the, the the memories came flooding back and people were posting stuff online. Everybody, the common denominator was he was just this gracious guy who mm-hmm. absolutely adored his fans. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I can say firsthand, I experienced that. I'll, I'll never forget it. And it, and it's great to know that I wasn't alone. It was, David, it was a real thing. David wasn't, <clears throat> wasn't it Rudy? We had Rudy Sarzo on the show. Mm-hmm. Ru- yes. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful to hang with with the man. Uh, he he told a story about yeah. Yeah. you. I, I knew that this all that's all I had to say. Yeah, it's coming back. Yeah. He said he would follow Ronnie around because he was amazed at. And this goes back to casting spells. I, I would swear mm-hmm. it. Uh, how he knew everyone's name. Oh, I remember oh, yeah. you, oh, and it would be it would be five years had gone by, and this family of yeah, rockers would walk in. Yeah, how buried, how he could remember people's names. He had an amazing memory. He wouldn't just remember them, and he remember their kids' name, their wife's name, their dog's name. That's what I mean. He just would remember everything. That's what Rudy was saying. And he was he couldn't Rudy was freaked the fuck out. He could not believe how Ronnie could do that. So uh, Rudy, I think, would told us a little story about how he would start following him around, like almost like, you know. Like trying to figure out what, how is it, what's going on? Does he, does he write stuff down? Does he, no, he just, no. Yeah, Rudy, I don't think Rudy ever figured it out other than he was just amazing that way. So. I think it's just that because he really paid attention to what somebody was saying. Yes. He really cared about what they were saying. He yeah. wasn't there wanting to, thinking about the next thing they were going to, he was going to say, he wanted to know what they had to say. And he wanted to get to know that person and really get to know that person. And I think that that's how he retained all those, all those people's names and things and memories. It's unbelievable. He used to blow my mind all the time. He's like, oh, I don't even remember. I can't even remember anybody's face or name or anything. I have to meet them a few times. But he would, I mean, he would always know who they were and what their name was and everything. Yeah, that, that's, that goes back to the story I was just sharing. He was so attentive to what I, I, I mean, he was he wanted to know more about me than I wanted to know about him. And I just thought it was crazy. And, um, and my wife was sitting right there and he he made her part of the conversation. And we weren't just some 
fans in the in the cattle call line no, where he no, just no, signed no, the autograph no, and moved no, you on. It, no, definitely it, not. He he was never fake. He was never. He was always interested in people. He always loved his fans. He never forgot where he came from. And he always said, you know, those people. They're the ones that why I live, the style I live is because of them, because that's what they do. You know, they they make me, they buy my records, and then that way I can have a lifestyle. Not that he cared about anything, he didn't care about money at all, he didn't care about anything. Um, I mean, he wears nice stage clothes and, and his interview clothes, but at home, he wants to go Walmart and buy his sweat. Can't you wear something else? Why? No, I want to wear these. I want to stay home, be with my animals, have my friends around the bar. We have a bar here, which I'm actually sitting at, um, that we brought in from England, from uh, Essex. It's the dated for 1800s and something. And we put it in there, and he, that was his favorite place. Sit here yeah. with a beer and have his friends over and just hang out, like Glenn Hughes and stuff. Glenn was a great friend of mine. Taught him how to uh, introduce him to Indian food. And uh, <laughs> Ronnie loved Indian food after that. It was oh. a lot of convincing. He got him to try it, but once he did, he never went back. He wanted that Indian food all the time. I've seen that the bar that you speak yes. of in in clips of uh, yes. short short yeah, document uh, biopics or or anything like that. Any, any other bar, yeah. yeah, your your no, background no. is blurred. You have a, no, a, a, a yeah. I I know what you're talking about, Jason, because yeah. I've seen it too. There's a there's a video clip where I believe the journalist is Mick Wall. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and he, yeah. When he had hair. When he had hair. Yeah. 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 And they're <laughs> drinking beer at that bar that you're sitting at right now. Yeah. 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 And they're playing uh, pool. Pool. Yes. Yeah. The pool table. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, Which, yeah. Um. When Ronnie passed away, I um. I didn't need a pool table, and but I didn't want to get rid of the it's a beautiful old antique one with lions feet and everything. So I got rid of the top of it. And I had a huge piece of glass made, so we have a coffee table now. Nice. Oh, the line. Yeah. Now you can put your beer on the pool table. <laughs> I don't think so. Without doing any damage. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wendy, I will let you go here in just a minute. I wanted to ask one last question. Now, if if Ronnie was still alive, and if my math is correct, and I don't make any claims that it is, mm -hmm. Uh, math is not my forte, but I believe Ronnie would be about 80 or 81 years old today. 81, 81 in July, yeah. yeah. Would he yeah. still be touring? I don't know if he'd still be touring. He's still arriving. Uh, I think he would have made a great producer for young guys. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because uh, he had a knack of, of uh, touring people with and making them better. Um, I, I think. I don't know. Maybe he will be trying. I don't know. I know he'd still be he'd still be having his hand in music somewhere because I don't think he could ever have retired. Right, right. And that's one of the things I will say that I was so happy about before he passed away that he got to go full circle with the Sabs and he was back with the Sabs because he really, really enjoyed playing with them. Um, he always said, you know, that Tony was like the riff master and, and Jesus Butler was such a bass player and, and the drum monster really he said it was like really hard. Each one of them said it was hard to keep up with each other because they all were such talented musicians, and that was the funnest time ever. And I'm yeah. so so glad we got to be friends again and, and tour with them again. I still see those guys all the time, so it's, it's really nice. I will say that Heaven and Hell is in my top three favorite albums of all time, and it has been since 1980 when it was released. And that yeah. day that I met Ronnie. 
he autographed it for me and it's framed hanging over my head right there. So I I can see, you know, knowing how Ronnie apparently loved a challenge, I can see how being in Black Sabbath would have really pushed everybody because all those guys were incredibly talented. But it was amazing. They were such a machine together. They were just unbelievable. Yeah. And I'm so, so glad he got to go full circle with them before he passed. I think it was, I think it was written in the cards. I think it was meant to be. Yeah. I got to see that Heaven and Hell tour, one of them. And I was glad that I did because I never got to see Ronnie front Black Sabbath. And then, of course, I thought I never would. So, uh, as you say, it came full circle, and I was lucky mm-hmm. enough to be able to go see that, and I'm so glad I did because that lineup was, you know, just Phenomenal. responsible for Phenomenal. some of the best metal yeah. ever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Wendy, I uh, we appreciate you for joining us today. Uh, we wish you all the luck in the world with uh, with the uh, DVD deluxe edition and the and the LP box set. And uh, we appreciate you for keeping Ronnie's legacy alive and, and, and keeping his name out there. His music will live forever. We're never going to forget that. But uh, we always appreciate hearing new stories and, and seeing new perspectives. And I think that documentary does a great job of letting thank us you. inside thank his you. world and getting to know the man a little bit. So Thank you. And thank you so much for having me on. It's been really interesting. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, I think of your support. Couldn't do it without guys like you, really. And because uh, I'm trying to keep Ryan's music and memory alive, and you guys are just helping me do that. Ah, well, thank you. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Trust me. It's the least we could do for all the music that Ronnie's given us. So <laughs> uh, we do appreciate <laughs> you being here so much. On behalf of my co-host Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with our special guest today, Wendy Dio, on the Talk Louder podcast. Thank you.